Indigenous Truth is a space to connect with Indigenous people who are here to share the stories of their lives, history, and spirituality. Hi, I'm Tori Vela. And I'm Sarah Glass. It's time we learn the truth. Today we are with Eli Carlos. Hi, my name is Eli Carlos. A lot of people call me Lehi Eli. Um, I am Akamil Otham and Tahano Otham, uh, which are two of the tribes out here near um, the southern part of Arizona. Awesome. And what uh, would you like for your people to be referred to as? Um, we call ourselves Otham, and mm -hmm. that's what a lot of um, people call us as well. We used to be known as Pima and Papago, and as long as it's done in a respectful way, it doesn't really bother anyone that much, and if it does, they'll slightly correct you, but um, we, we all refer to ourselves as Atham, which means people. Oh, wow. That's really cool. All right. And how have your people been affected by colonialism? Um. The reservation where I live, the one that I'm a community member of, Salt River, was mm -hmm. created after um, people uh, started moving into the Phoenix area, and we were farmers, and uh, the canals that Phoenix uses to this day are based on the grid work that were laid down, and we were, were used by the Autumn people, and when they came into this area, they started to use more water for their crops. And they did it in a way that there was no sharing of that water. And a lot of people um, basically starved to death because they weren't able to um, grow their own food in Gila River. And so uh, small groups of people, small families moved uh, north kind of piggybacking where the river was to be able to still farm. And that's how Salt River was created was uh out of that that conflict oh wow and how do you feel that you personally have been affected by colonialism like you and your family um well i lived on the reservation until i was about five um and at that time um we moved into mesa and a lot of salt river kids still went to school in mesa but mm -hmm. I think that a lot of um, my own mm -hmm. personality and my attempts to um, be the smartest person in the room kind of mm -hmm. came from uh, being mistreated as a brown child, as a, as a not being able to be thought of as uh, or, or uh, seen as having the same intelligence. Um, so from the age of five until 25, I, I lived in the city, which um, is right next to the reservation. It's, it, Salt River is very 
close and intertwined with the Phoenix area um, mm-hmm. that there isn't too much of a delineation between uh, city Indian and reservation Indian, but that <laughs> also um, I, I grew up more as a city Indian. Okay. And what does like, so does that make you feel like you have to walk between two worlds? Like how can you dive into that a little bit? City Indian and, and reservation um, Indian? Yeah. Um, a decade is that just less, le- do you mean like less traditional or is there just? Yes. Um, okay. Even uh, among Salt River and because the four reservations that are autumn people, are the Tono Otham, Akchin, Gila River, and Salt River. And even amongst those other reservations, they think of us as the most um, whitewashed because we are so close to the city and um, we are losing our culture faster or losing our language faster because uh, it's just so easy to kind of slip away into the city. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the uh, I think when it comes in terms to cultural preservation and cultural knowledge, it definitely is. Um, we're, we're kind of next to each other, but uh, I think even then I fall further into non not knowing my culture as much as I would like, not knowing my language as much as I would like because I grew up mostly in the city and would only come to the reservation um, on my, on my weekends and, and uh, to visit family. So do you feel like the, since you moved to Mesa at five, do you feel like the pressure to fit in, in the white world, kind of you focused on that as a kid and, studying and being intelligent and then in the white world so to speak and then that kind of made you divide more from culture and traditions no i I think it had the potential to um but i think in in a lot of those places once um I was able to prove my intelligence once I was able to be seen as smart. Um, kind of the opposite effect happened, which was um, I was like uh, put forward as an example or as a token of um, a person of color in spaces that were um, not usually seen as Native American. So they, they always wanted me to expound on my Native American um, ideals, but they never tried to go too far into it. They just wanted an example that they were. um, That they could showcase. Yeah. 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 Um, Wow. um, Makes sense. But at the same time, I, with, because I was never, a part of the because I was never living here and there's there's people that live here that know not a lot of the culture either but um 
I, I never pushed further into knowing it because I never needed to um, for those roles that I was kind of being thrust into as a child, you know, as, as someone that was trying to prove myself academically because I was mistreated as a, as a brown kid. And then from there going to exalted, but not because of intelligence, but because of the, the brownness. Right. Wow. And I remember uh, you told me before you used to work at the Herd Museum. Yeah, uh, I was just thinking about that today. Um, a mm. decade ago is when I left uh, the Herd Museum. I used to be a um, student tour guide there. And it, uh, the Herd Museum is a museum here um, in Phoenix that uh, deals a lot with Native American art and culture. Um, and as a high school student, they had a program for um, Native American high school students to come in and um, have part-time jobs as tour guides. Wow. And what was that like? Did you enjoy, enjoy that? Yeah. Um, I would say for me, that was a turning point in my life um, in high school was when I started to pick up um, books that are uh, kind of older that were the like the Red Power books. The At the same time as the Black Panthers was going on, there was the American Indian Movement. Mm -hmm. And people started thinking about what colonialism is and uh, how it affects people and um, Native American things were going on like um, uh, Alcatraz and Wounded Knee. And I had started to pick up those books when I was in high school at the same time I had started working at the Herd Museum. And so while I, I wasn't ever militant about it or wasn't ever you know a little bit off the cuff I would still not hold anything back when I would gave tours about things that had happened in Arizona and you know the people that lived here and our expectations and our our um, interactions with um, mainstream culture and I, I think that uh open my eyes not only to what other people see or what people's uh I, I would say expectations or uh, yeah what their expectations are when they think of Native Americans but also that uh oftentimes we are um relegated to the past and that people don't know that we're around still and I think that's the biggest thing is that Native Americans are modern today they they live amongst uh everyone out here in the west and the, the, on, on the reservations those ex still exist and the people out there still exist in their own cultural way but that it's not in the past that it's you know connected to where we are now they have um some of the luxuries that we have now and that they're moving forward too but I don't see that as changing me or my ideas or, or other parts of it. I think I'm still unapologetically Eli uh, <laughs> in, in the most of the rooms that I'm in. Um, 
and I, I, I see other people struggle with that, and especially in regards to um, going from the reservation to uh, other rooms where they're not uh, with people that are that are Native American as well. And I think it, it just is that there is cultural understandings that are different. Um, I remember when I was starting at the Herd Museum, the biggest thing they had to teach a lot of kids that were more uh, traditional was that uh, when you're giving a tour guide, when you're directing these people around, you're going to have to make eye contact with them. And you're going to have to... Uh, be loud, you know, be, be talking to these groups of people. And um, I know that, that growing up on the reservation, kids often are taught to be humble and taught to, it, it kind of brings out what, what we would call like shyness. And mm -hmm. that looking at someone in the eyes is considered a very, um, it can be seen as disrespectful, but it's, it's something that's, you wouldn't do unless you're very it's a very intimate act right that makes sense it's right so eye contact and being loud was a shift from your actual cultural upbringing no i i i've seen it in other people but in my cultural upbringing um i was still loud and I still uh, <clears throat> made eye contact. I mean, I, I, if someone wouldn't look at me, I wouldn't look at them. But I, that's <laughs> what I think why I have less of a problem adopting my uh, ideas and my um, who I am in each space is that I just simply, um, I tend to mirror the, the what the other person is doing. Awesome. And what are your, what is your passion? What are you passionate about? Um, I, I really like Indian law. Um, and there's a lot of things going on there that affects uh, Native Americans across the United States and also affect the, the communities that they live next to. If you, um, there was just a Supreme Court case in Oklahoma that said that um, Oklahoma used to be Indian territory and mm -hmm. that Native Americans still have a legal precedence there. And that changes what the courts have been doing for years. Um, it interacts with family law. It interacts with water, which is going to be very soon the biggest um situation out here in the southwest with los angeles and las vegas and phoenix and mm -hmm. how little water we have and who gets the rights to that water is one of the big intersections in indian law wow. um that and politics and culture are the things that i'm interested in wow can you um dive into that a little bit the indian law and uh, wasn't there just a Supreme Court ruling where they uh, granted the tribes some land back in Oklahoma? Um, from my understanding of it, uh, 
they, the land wasn't granted back um, because there is no uh, entity that covers the entire area, mm-hmm. but that the court system is going to have to essentially cover that entire area. Because um, you have Indian land, which is usually reservations, but in places like Oklahoma, it could it tends to be patchwork. So you had it allotted to families, and for a brief time in history, it was able to be um, sold to non-Indian families. And so you basically can have um, non-Indian-owned Indian land, and then when wow. cities build up too, then you have municipalities that are built um, within that and around that. And um, essentially those municipalities in the state were um, in charge of the justice system there. And there's no revenue system there for a lot of tribes or the revenue system is very small. with casinos, their casinos tend to be, there's not a large population base to use those casinos. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't have a overarching um, judicial system that can deal with uh, all those uh, cases that are in all these little patchworks of area and the cities have to deal with their you know, own offenders and the state has to deal with its state law being upheld in those areas. Um, but the, this is what the court case said was um, that the Indian law still had to be held in those areas and that state law wouldn't necessarily be applied because um, they're Native Americans in Native American land, which is where um the biggest thing with Indian law comes up is who is it and where does the um, offense or action take place? Um, so like the jurisdictions? Yeah. Like who has jurisdiction over? Okay. That's that's entirely it. Is So the, the, right now the um, the court has decided that the state doesn't have jurisdiction over those Indian people when the the offense happens on that Indian land, but traditionally the state and the cities had taken that um, jurisdiction. Um, So now they have to go and redo all of the things that had um, happened up until this point. All those things are basically can be up for uh, another appeal case. There has been large periods of our our history where having your indigenous religion or even the language was considered uh, an illegal act. And during the boarding school era, there that was tried to be taught out of people. And I think it affected us up until where we are now today. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing is loss of language that leads into loss of culture. Because when you think about words they have um meanings they're connected to things right Um, and i 
I see the culture going away because the language is going away. Um, I don't think that we can use culture on its own. I, I think it's an interesting thing, but I think mm-hmm. for culture to survive, it has to be connected to a way of life. And so mm-hmm. because the language was gone and persecuted for a while and um, the same with religion, um, it didn't have a chance to grow with the people into the new situations they found themselves. Right. Um, and so what we ended up with is cultural preservation, which is a good thing and it's something that we need, but you're preserving something that isn't connected to a way of life now. And so it has to be actively tried to be kept alive. And I I don't think that it's uh, sustainable action without it then being connected to the way people live now. So you have to think about jobs and living within the society that you live in now and all those interactions that are defined in the mainstream society and make your songs, make your, your prayers, make your culture about those interactions. You have to, you have to make new ones. Sorry. Integrate your, integrate your culture into your new way of living almost. So Eli, I wanted to ask you, you had brought up earlier the, the AIM movement, and I think it started in 1968, and I wanted to know if, like, are they still really active and doing things? It started around the same time as um, the Black Power movement, um, the Black Panthers and things like that, and you really, that's when you started to see um, the books about Native American political thought from um, Vine Deloria, and he really um, jump-started all of American Indian studies, I would say. Um, And as those things progressed, I think um, there's been several movements since that have tried to focus on things, but I, I don't see, I see their, their effect in all, in all the things that have been happening, the I don't know more and the murdered and mi- uh, missing indigenous women and Standing Rock. You, mm-hmm. you see where um, the actions that they took are the, the founding blocks of all of these other um, places, all of these other um, attempts to um, create uh, positive change. Um, yeah, and awareness. And aw- yeah. Um, mm-hmm. no, uh, I, I forget his name, but you also think of um, <coughs> young people are that are kind of stepping into those roles as well. And one of them is um, Russell Means uh, son and he is a rapper but he's um, a lot of a lot of Native American 
um, artists and, and especially people that are doing the music and uh, the, those people are, are still focusing on the issues that are, that are affecting us. Um, I don't think any of it would have existed without the American Indian movement, um, but I don't really see um, them as an active organization anymore. But just the, the lessons and uh, how you uh, create um, spaces for those, those positive changes. You think about how Alcatraz was done and then you see um, where, where you had um, Native Americans taking over the island um, as a part of turning old unused federal buildings into places for Native Americans and you see how it was a um, basically a, a large scaled sit-in and you, then you see um, how people here in Arizona and California um, are uh, chaining themselves up to construction materials and trying to stop the creation of uh, the border wall. And you, you basically see um, how that has been passed down, how those um, situations are learned from one another. I think the American Indian movement kind of changed a lot of things. I don't think we really saw interactions like that beforehand. Wow. The book that I would probably start on is uh, Custer Died for Your Sins. The other book that is not about Native Americans, but deals with the explanation of what colonialism is and what its effects are would be um, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And it's actually, um, it's from uh, North Africa where the, the French were uh, colonializing the people that lived in North Africa and their interactions with it. But I think it um, serves as an understanding of how that, that system has its effects and how it um, interacts with people and how it makes uh, it, how 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 it is a system. My people never were in conflict with the United States, but what colonization is is I think essentially um, violence um, to enforce a different way of living and to exploit people. And when I see it in my own people, it's not. We never were in conflict um, in in war with the United States, but um, in order to continue to live, um, we were farmers and we weren't given the tools to farm. And when they took away the water, we needed emergency rations and those wouldn't be given unless um, you became a part of the church and... Wow gave up your your autumn ways you had to cut your hair and start wearing clothes and I think that was uh, the start of uh, our loss of culture and it is a 
violent colonial act to to try and remove that from uh, people. That's an extremely violent act. That's what I was going to mention, <clears throat> the religion. Like, I, I feel like a lot of it was trying to force people to conform to their religion and beliefs in order to control people. Yeah. Um, it's, it's everywhere you look in Native American history. Um, if you go all the way back um, to there, they talk about the um, doctrine of discovery and basically saying that because we weren't Christian, we weren't civilized and therefore the lands could be taken from us. And that was um, with this, the Spanish before even America was around. So it, it goes all the way to the roots and it has interactions everywhere that um, it, it is the religion is the tool that's used. Um, when you talk to most Christian, to most uh, Native Americans today, they are Christian, especially here in my reservation. You can look at which uh, churches in which area, and basically, um, that's how you got your religion was by which church was closest to you because they were the ones that had to hand out the emergency rations and the farming supplies. Um, and you wouldn't get those supplies unless you were a part of that church. The way I say it now is that um, on my dad's side, I'm uh, part, part Catholic and part uh, Mormon because my dad's dad was Mormon because he lived closest to where the Mormon church was. And uh, my dad's mom uh, was... Uh, Catholic because she came from Tano Otham and that was what they were down there. Wow. And it basically is your religion is tied to what church was built closest to you. So your mom being Tano Otham, is that why you prefer to my, be called Otham? My uh, dad's mom, my, my grandmother. Oh. Um. So Salt River, uh, Pima in our language comes from Pimash, which means uh, I don't understand or I don't know. Yes. Which tends to be a lot of uh, Native American tribes were either I don't know or enemy, depending on if they were ran into first or if someone that they were next to was ran into first and basically named everything around them. <clears throat> But um, no, I, I'm actually only half Native American. My mom is um, German and Mexican. Wow. Okay. But um, it's the same language for Tio and Salt River. And Autumn just means people. So Tohono is desert because they live um, basically out in the desert area, kind of by Tucson. And Akamil means... Uh, river and okay we actually call mm -hmm. ourselves Ankh Akamil Atham, which is uh, like salt river people so that's the river that's near us is 
Do you do colonialized holidays? I get presents on Christmas and um, go to brunch on Easter and all of that. And uh, I think a lot of families do. I think the only one that everyone kind of skips is uh, Columbus Day. Mm-hmm. And uh, our Thanksgiving, the way, even when I was going through reading um, Native American political thought for the first time. And there's this point where everyone kind of gets angry and mad about these things that have happened. Even then, um, the way I looked at Thanksgiving, especially, was that's traditionally a harvest festival after the season has come in and you are thankful, essentially, for being able to have a good harvest and now you have to get ready for winter coming and that that time of not uh basically winter is you know a time of uh death and so just uh celebrating that you've been able to harvest and that uh you're you're basically getting ready to hunker down for the winter um is the way i always looked at it um i think one day I'll get to the point where I don't want to celebrate anymore. Um, some Thanksgiving and probably Christmas, but for the most point, we, we do the same things everyone else does with the Turkey dinner and presents on Christmas. And I think, uh, what tends to keep it going is, uh, children. I think, uh, Mm -hmm. you don't want to take those, memories and those those gathering times from children and i think uh it's important to have times to be with your family especially Mm -hmm. um and i think that's what those holidays give us an excuse for so there's good and bad about them yeah yeah um i think if i ever have the opportunity to be more conscious about it I will not partake in those days. Mm-hmm. And I, I see people that um, don't partake in them. Mm-hmm. And what they've really created is um, their own, within their own families, within their own people, their own small communities is uh, that feeling nonstop. I think, I think once you're able to build a, small group of people that your your family is in constant interaction with each other is in constant support and having those memories around i think it becomes easier to remove um the excuse to have those holidays because you're not interacting with your family it gives you a chance to go and make those amends and um, have those interactions how do you feel about the colonial monuments and statues. When I was in uh, college, I I, I uh, said that one day I would save up enough money to go and uh, defecate on the what where Christopher Columbus is buried. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but I. I think that those should be removed. Um, 
you don't learn history from the statues. Uh, it's not some um, memory of what it is. It's it's a it's a it's a reverence for them. That's the reason why statues are created. It's not because of the history. It's because of the reverence. Yeah. Um. So when those things are in place what you're really doing is sending a uh message to whatever those people are that were hurt by that person that they that that mainstream society still supports it um or whatever that culture is that has those statues has those um holidays for it they still in essence support those actions um and they kind of have to um to be honest um because it justifies their existence um they stand on the backs of those actions all the things that they've had and grown and things that have gained interest since the times of those actions are what creates that society up until that point so to recognize that those things are wrong recognizes that you have to make amends for that action, that that action was wrong. And I don't think people are able to do that. Um, so do I think that the statues and stuff should be taken down? Yes. I don't see that happening, though. Um, as long as people become aware of it and start to make those connections and start to think about it i think that's the best we can ask for until there is enough people that know that history or know that um that these people that the native americans or um, whatever group um is still around and still alive today and to make amends for those actions i, I don't i don't think we're going to see any other action besides people gaining knowledge and eventually uh, it really it becomes a tipping point of knowledge once um enough people know and see it as something that is abhorrently wrong um then it'll change then it'll be removed and things will become a little bit better and that's that's just the history of human progress is you have to wait for enough people to recognize that this is hurting people Thank you so much, Eli. That was absolutely amazing. We really are honored to have you here on Our Indigenous Truth. I personally want to thank you also for agreeing and being on the show. I'm so thankful to hear all everything that that you've contributed today. And I appreciate you taking the time out. Thank you. Um, I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to know both of you. Um, and th this is important work that you guys are doing and I'm, I'm glad that you guys are. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Facebook at Our Indigenous Truth. Music provided by Tomahawk Bang. To learn more, Go to tomahawkbang.com. With each step, I walk to understand
one day. 